Turn with me to Acts chapter 16 this morning, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, as many of you know, maybe, maybe uh, our college students don't know, <clears throat> we have been making our way through the book of Acts uh, this summer. We are winding down our study, and our next book that we're going to be moving to is Colossians. These next two to three weeks, we are going to try to wrap up Acts for uh, everyone. We are not doing by any means an exhaustive study of the book or a verse-by-verse exegetical kind of a a study, but we are uh, really taking some major themes out and wanting to share with you some things that we really feel are important. And at this point, Paul and Silas are on what you would call their second missionary journey. They took three total. And uh, we see Paul now, uh, who is really wandering the country, the Holy Land as you know it, to uh, spread the gospel to the Galatians, to the people that uh, don't necessarily... Uh, they, they don't have a lot of moorings in understanding the Lord. And this is Paul's specific task. Peter was sent to the Jews. Paul is sent to the, to the Gentiles. And so here in uh, Acts 16, we see there in, in the first part of Acts 16, verse 1, we see Paul joins, he, uh, Silas joins him on uh, his journey of uh, strengthening the churches. And look there in verse 4 of 16 where it says, And as they traveled, look at that word, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so look there what it says in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew in number. God was doing a great work amongst them and using Paul. And then in verse 6, and Silas and his friends. I love this little picture that's given us here. In verse 6 it says, Paul and his companions traveled. And so I thought of that a little bit, and I want to challenge you with that um, very briefly. Um, and then I want to kind of use that statement of what does it mean to have traveling companions. But Paul, it says there, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Look where it says there, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Who knows why the Holy Spirit and why the Lord decided not to do this at this point. But in some way, and it doesn't say exactly how they were kept, but they were kept from preaching the word in this certain part of the country. But what's important there is Luke's putting this in there because he's talking to us here about now what is the Holy Spirit doing? What's the role of the Holy Spirit vis-a-vis the top of the board there? We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So it says there, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, it's as if they keep going. Now look in verse 7. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit, again, of Jesus would not allow them to go. The first, the first part of the stop was almost like they were stopped en route from going to a certain country. The second part is they actually got stopped at the border of the country. In other words, and these people were not taking the Disney monorail. They, they were in sandals walking the desert. And so I don't know if you're like me, but I would have been a little bit upset. I was going to say it. I was going to be a little bit upset at the Lord for, why would you have to take me all the way to the border, Lord? 
I'm walking in this hot desert. The feet don't feel good. I'm pretty thirsty. Okay, but you got to take me all the way to the border and then say, no, we're going to turn you back here. Not a fun situation and very, just, just let me help you. I mean, <laughs> help you by saying, stop trying to figure out the Lord and how he does it because it's crazy. It's all over the place and we don't know why he does it. But he did it here. He suddenly takes them all the way. And then he says, no, not, I, I think it's not. It's like taking the kid to Disney World. And they said, oh, daddy, can I ride Space Mountain? And we've talked about it for months or whatever. And we're getting there. We stand in line. We go, I, we're just not going to do this. You know, I, I'd have a riot on my hands. Okay. But you get the feeling here. It's the exact opposite with Paul. It's like, oh, we're stopped at the border. Well, let's go on. And guess where they went on? They go on to Philippi. Probably... One of the most powerful books in the Bible. One of the most powerful towns that God did an unbelievable work amongst people. Let's tear apart this piece here in verse 6 where it says, Paul and his companions traveled. It's, it's nice to talk about traveling companions, isn't it? When I was 19 years old, we, I had my buddies, you know. And my, uh, my, one of the guys in the group, we're, we're all kind of jocks, but one of the guys in the group was a, like a motorhead junkie motor guy. And he uh, loved cars. And so he said to us one day, we're all hanging around, he says, hey, let's get, just, let's get some guys together and take a total road trip to, Indy, to the Indy 500. I had never even thought of doing that. That wouldn't be something I would be tremendously interested in. Even at that age, um, I was more interested in going over a girl's house or something like that. You know, I mean, not going to see the cars, you know. And so sure enough, have you ever been on these kind of trips where it starts out with three dudes? Okay. Yeah, where you know we're going. And by the time you get to it, we have a station wagon of 11 dudes packed in an old station wagon. Guys packed in the back. and And traveling with guys is gross. It's, it's sick. It's just, they have fun talking about things that girls don't love talking about. They, smells and just, ugh, you know? And they, and they get back in the back seat and as soon as they get back there, they have this total feeling, and I'm one of them, they have this total feeling of, you know, just pull off the shoes and hang the feet out the back window. And, you know, then they're talking about, well, let's spit out the back window, dude, and see if we can hit that fifth car down the driveway going, you know, down the, down the highway going 75 miles an hour. All kinds of crazy stuff, you know. And uh, I was thinking about that today and I thought, well, in terms of, in terms of people that I would like to travel through life with, I'm not so sure it would have been the Indy 500 dudes. It was, it wouldn't have been those guys. Those guys were great guys. We went there and by the way, that whole experience was another illustration in itself. Um, you want to talk about Bonnaroo on steroids, that's that trip and it's really ugly and like Sodom and Gomorrah in many ways. Um, but, so I began to think of this because I began to go, okay, let me, let me just stop for a minute and think of these dudes that Paul's traveling with. And what kind, of, what kind of guys are these guys that all of a sudden get stopped by the Holy Spirit on the way to a country? They're, they're, they're ministers. They're sold out. They're traveling in the, in the desert. And you begin to think, what, what kind of guys get to the border and all of a sudden feel oh, they're stopped from the Lord and they go, okay, great, let's go on to the next, let's go on to the next place. These, these guys are, they're pretty sensitive to what the Lord's wanting them to do. 
And then I began to think and I thought, you know what, if I could do a road trip across the country where I could put together three real spiritual dudes in my car and we just talk about the Lord, guess who they'd be? You'll never guess. So I'll just tell you. One, the guy that I would like sitting in my, in my car next to me would be my father, who, as many of you know, has, has passed on. He died in 1998, so he would be my co-pilot. Then I really, just indulge me, will you? Then I really want, I would love to have, I would actually love to have Larry Crabb in my car. And then in the backseat, I want the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine what kind of conversations we could have? Have you ever had any really deep, unbelievable conversations about the Lord that you suddenly were in it and you're going, whoa, this is heavy? Do you have any of those? And if I were to sit here today and if I were to challenge you with, who are the people in your car? Who are your traveling companions? Who are the people that, that you would say, man, those are, those are people who are really wanting to be in tune with who God is and what He's wanting to do. Who are the people that you wouldn't mind getting in that, in that car with and really talking with about the Lord? Who are, those, who are the people in your life that, that have open access to your heart that could challenge you, even challenge your personal theology? Who are they? The insightful people, the, the wise people, the people, though, that you know that they love the Lord. Who are your traveling companions? I'm talking about more than just the folks that you get together with and you're going to have a beer with this next Friday night in, in the village. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of the deep sea friends. Do you have them? Do they exist in your life? If they don't, they need to, and they need to exist in mine. Because if I'm not careful, my friends, I can find myself driving in a car down the highway of life completely, listen to this now, completely and utterly satisfied with being the only man in that car. It's true. I'm very satisfied with it because it provides for me a great opportunity to do what I want to do, to go where I want to go, to listen to the music I want to listen to. Right? Right? Paul here is traveling with these other men. Silas, he had parted from Barnabas. These guys were some very, I would call them, spirit-sensitive, spirit-led. Let's talk about that for a minute. This idea of being spirit-sensitive. Sensitive to what the Spirit's doing. Spirit-led, right? Spirit-guided. As I read it this week, I was pretty convicted that I don't know if I, I, I'm that. But as I began to think about it with you this morning, I wanted to just share two points with you. And the first point's interesting. And you, we, you may sit out there and feel like, well, you don't need to talk about that because we already believe it. But this, it is this. These men, these traveling companions, they actually believe two things. Now, they, they, these words are important here in this whole thing. They actually believe something. And what they actually believed is that the Holy Spirit actually exists. Let me say that again. They actually believed that the Holy Spirit actually exists. 
It's not the Holy Spirit or the God that we kind of grew up with at church. And it's kind of good that he was alive and active in biblical times and all those things. But the Holy Spirit now actively actually exists in the world. It's a really important precursor to wanting to be led by the Spirit to actually say, I actually believe that the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the third part of the Trinity lives in my life and he actually is there. Do you follow what I'm saying to you? Even if you shake your head, yes, what I'm telling you is, is that we have dealt with such a culture in our church that we are hardened to the term I'm trying to share with you, which is what we would go. I actually believe that if we actually believe that, then how come I and you wouldn't there's something that I, about my life that I don't feel that I'm then I'm, I don't know if I'm spirit directed enough. I'm Joel directed. Do you follow what I'm saying? In 2 Corinthians 1.21, it says this. He anointed us. Listen now. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Let me say it again. 2 Corinthians 1. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Do we actually believe, my friend, young lady, young man, do you actually believe that God lives in your heart, resides in your heart? Do you actually believe in that miracle? It's very important for you to reconcile that. It's very important for me to reconcile that. Is this something that just took place back here in biblical times, or is this something that's really active and true for me today? Now, let me get a little bit theolo- uh, theological with you and try to follow with me if you can, because I really wanted to look at some of these terms, which is this. Do we actually believe that God has anointed us, poured His Spirit into our lives like oil? In a literal sense, to anoint is to pour oil on someone's head, often as a sign of, of a divine calling and empowerment. Jesus was called what? The anointed one. Here, Paul is saying, just as Jesus was anointed for service and ministry, we are anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit for life and service and ministry. Know this today, my friends. I want to encourage you with this truth. You're anointed today by God for life, service, and ministry. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. What does that, what does it mean when we look at, do we actually believe that God has set his seal of ownership on us? An official seal marked the authority or ownership and guaranteed protection. God has sealed his believers not with physical wax or clay, but with the indwelling Holy Spirit in their hearts. And you only put a seal on something that you prize, that you love. What is it in your life that you would look through and maybe in your garage or in your music case or whatever it is. What is it that you put your name on? I have a label maker in my office. Why do I have that? Well, because I want you to know it's mine and it's important to me. That kind of tough to say because that reveals my own selfishness. What is it that you really prize that you've got your name on at home? I've got my... Uh, Name on my golf clubs. Hmm. Kind of shows how shallow I am. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you what my most prized possession is. 
my most prized possession are my daughters. And uh, my name is written on them. When I look at them and I see their eyes, and you come over to my house and say, oh, you're, this daughter looks just like you, it melts me. My name is written on them in their smile and the way that they respond and in their craziness. And God's name is written on you, daughter of the king. God's name is written on you, son of Zion. It's a beautiful thing to say to somebody. You're a son and you're a daughter and you're a prized possession. And God has put his seal on you. That would say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are mine. You have an identity. You have an eternal future. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you get yourself into, I am always here. Think about it. It's sealed. It is done. It is taken care of. You are protected. Think about the miracle of that. And then God also calls us in this verse, He calls us a deposit. And deposit here means signifies a guarantee of payment. God has given us His guarantee. And He has paid for this as a deposit with His Holy Spirit to know that we are at the end of our lives going to receive this complete inheritance on the other side of our lives. Well, if we actually do believe that, and I thank you for letting me get a little bit theological with you there for a minute, but think about this. If we actually do believe that the Holy Spirit exists, I want you to think now with me about this. What are the massive ramifications for that? Well, the massive ramifications is now we possess a power that lives inside of us that we can, that we can tap into. That we're a prized possession knows that we have an identity. We have a future. We're not alone. We are not our own. And God will do His work in us no matter what the Bible says. All things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. There's a promise, my friend. God's going to do His work. But do you believe it before I go on to the second point? Do you believe that the Lord lives in you? Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you believe that as a son and daughter that leaves here today, that you are actually walking out of this building not your own any longer? It's a good question. Second one, and let's finish on this. These traveling companions, they're spiritual. They actually believe something else. And here's what they believe. This is where we really struggle. I know I do. They actually believe that they will be led and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. As sons and daughters of the King, the full intention of God giving us the Holy Spirit is that we would actually believe that we need to be led and guided and directed by almost, you would call it, an alien force within us. Did you see the movie Aliens? What a terrible illustration to illustrate the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? What was that movie? This is what I was thinking. Okay, movie trivia, excellent. Kurt Russell's in this movie. Is that he? They have this 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 monster that lives inside of people, and nobody knows it. They're like in Alaska. What's it called? 
The thing. That's right. Thank you, brother. Trust me, we're going somewhere with this. The thing, that was the, the kind of the similar thing. There's this, there's this, there's this like unbelievable monster that lives inside of us. Okay? That, that doesn't live inside of us before Christ, but now that we come, we come to know Christ, there's a Holy Spirit monster that wants to raise its head and do its business. It's like this alien thing that wants to lead and guide and direct us, but almost the way you pick up in the scriptures is there's like this living battle between us and the monster. Are you following with me? That we're wanting to fight this thing all the time. But here's what I want you to believe this morning. Think about this. That the, that the Holy Spirit has a genuine interest in your life in all the little things that you're doing. In your relationships, in school for you college students, in your moral life for you college students. The Bible talks about being able to quench the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. The Bible talks about this war that we're in. Right? Paul and his traveling companions weren't surprised that they were kept from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They weren't surprised that they had been stopped at the border. Why weren't they surprised? They weren't surprised because they believed this second thing. They believed that this was the Holy Spirit's work. It's God's work. This isn't a surprise that we could be stopped at the border. And I, I, I might go on to say it doesn't. It, we can get upset with the Lord, but at some point we, we've got to go, well, Lord, I don't understand it, but you're doing your work. You will guide. You will lead. But it is foreign to us. Now, here's, here's the thing that I, I... I'm preaching this to me as much as I'm preaching it to you. But when I talk to you about the idea of being led by the Holy Spirit, being guided and being directed, let me just... Can I tell you something about my life? Maybe it'll be true for you. I don't want that. Do you follow what I just said? I, I don't want that. If I were to be really real with you, I would tell you that I don't want the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct my life because I'm absolutely convinced that He's going to ruin it. Really? No, let's just really be honest. Don't we believe that? If I were to really let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and direct my life, things are going to be like too Christian. Right? Isn't that true? When we think of being led and guided and directed, are you kidding me? The best person for being the best person for that job is who? Bingo. Ding. Right here. I'm the best person for that job. Not the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be led from the alien monster. I can I'm going to do it. And guess what that's called? That's called pride. Pride is, listen to this, pride is self-satisfaction. Pride is self-splendor, self-majesty. Pride considers itself above instruction and guidance. It is self-reliant. It aspires to the place of God. Pride is anxious about the future. It refuses to trust God, especially when God is silent. So I would have to confess to you today that um, my, I'm a pretty prideful person. 
How is it that, uh, let me challenge uh, us with another question as it relates to this. How is it that most of us make decisions in our lives? I thought about this this week. How is it that most of us make decisions in our lives? Is it this? Our comfort usually is how we make decisions. Follow. Will this decision that I'm going to make put me in an uncomfortable situation? Will this decision that I'm going to make put me in an uncomfortable situation? Let's say to talk about uh, my marriage with my wife. That the marriage sucks. It's not good. Will I, will I, will, am I willing to enter into that, the mud of that life right there, that piece of life? Am I willing to do that? Well, if I base my decisions on my comfort, then my answer will always be what? No. Remember, uh, you know, what was it? Was it George Bush who said, ain't gonna do it? That's kind of the same thing. I'm not gonna do it. Anything that revolves outside or possibly gets outside the sphere of my comfort, uh uh-uh, not going to do it. Will this decision, follow now, will this decision make me happy or sad? If sad, not going to do it. Nope, 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 nope. Right? Will this decision cost me something? Will it cost me money or will it cost me time? Will it cost me my stuff? If it does, no. Hey guys, you guys are kind of snickering at that. I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly how we make decisions. The criteria that we have, the number one criteria that you, we usually have for making decisions is our own comfort. It's true. Think about this. When was the last time you ever made a decision that you went this? I am. This is going to make me totally uncomfortable. It's going to cost me everything. I just feel the Lord just called me to do it and I'm doing it. You'd have your friends looking at you. Insanity. Are you insane? When was the last time we made any insane decisions because we felt the Lord was just telling us to do it? Isn't that awesome? He's like the guy who showed up at his friend's house at 2.30 in the morning. He says, dude, I just want to come over and talk about the Lord. You're going, what? That's insane. When was the last time we did anything insane like that? Usually when we're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about our comfort. I believe that our absolute passion for comfort is the throne that pride sits on. And pride does rule there. And I'm right with you. I'm the same as you. Are you kidding me? We want to sit on the Asian border. We want to wring our hands and figure things out. If I had been Paul in this passage, I would have stopped at the border and said, Boys, build a campfire. Let's pray so we can discover the will of the Lord. But Luke is trying to talk to us here in Acts about these men that were deeply guided and had a deep yearning and a deep passion for what God was doing and how the Holy Spirit was going to lead them. And many times I want to share something with you that's really important. When the Holy Spirit leads you, many times it's into mystery and it's not into management. The things that the Holy Spirit and the faith journey that you're on and that you and I are on is different than any other journey you could possibly be even think about. It, faith requires mystery. Faith requires trust. 
Faith requires going, I'm so fearful about, about this. Faith requires I don't have to be comfortable in this. That's tough. Nobody likes that. We say things like, follow this now, I need to figure out God's will for my life as if I can figure out God's will for my life. God is sovereign. God's going to reveal His will to us when God wants to reveal His will to us. Now, is it bad for us to want to know who God is and what He's doing? Sure. It's okay. So it begs the urgent question. Let me give you a few helps today that really helped me. How are Christians today then supposed to be led and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit? Start thinking about God as your relentless lover. Start thinking about your Lord as your relentless lover who absolutely says that you're the prized possession. I love to be in the house with my daughters, with my kids. God loves to be in the house with you. You know, there's many things that as my daughters get older... There's certain things that I don't, I don't want to tell them because I go, I think you need to learn that on your own. I've learned that the secret of wisdom many times is not necessarily say anything about everything, which I normally thought, wow, I have to say everything all the time. Maybe that's a little bit like the Lord. So you'd be sitting there today and you'd be going, well, how in the, how in the world if God's in the house and I'm in the house and I ask God the questions? As if we ask the questions and God has to answer. We've reversed the paradigm. We've reversed the biblical understanding. Don't invert it. The Lord's in the house. And if he's not answering the question, he's not answering it for a reason. He doesn't want you to know. Be comfortable with the silence, right? He's sovereign. Then I used, I used one of your words, Carly. I said this. If we trust that God is sovereign in His grace, He knows what we need to know and when we need to do it and know it, that means that we can get real super uber, never before comfortable with God's silence in leading us. Get super comfortable a lot more than you are, and me too, with God's silence in leading us. Don't let God's silence be a time where you have to stop at the Asian border, but maybe God still wants you to continue, and maybe He's got His Philippi for you. Remember, pride refuses to trust God. When I put my pride down, it gives me the freedom to believe when my Father is silent. Listen to God's Word. Listen to good counsel in the context of true community. You know what community is? It's our communal opportunity to slay the dragon of pride. I really believe that. Because pride's such a monster for all of us, isn't it? You think about that. Lord, let's really be a people here. that
wants to hear um, what you have to say to us. And um, I know that I have to confess many things. And But the one thing today that I just keep thinking about is thank you for your pursuing love of us. Father, you're so good. Thank you for giving us Jesus. And even today we would especially want to thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Lord, I, I pray... Um, for uh, myself and my friends, we're all in this together, <laughs> that, that we would be a more spirit-directed people, that we would, be, we would listen more, that we would hear you in your word and through our friends. I pray that we would actually be a people that would believe the things that we say we believe. Um... We thank you for our time again today. We pray all this in your name. Amen.